assholes the health of the planet. So we are thinking holistically and as stewards, I like to think of myself as a steward of the planet. My job is to help facilitate holistic health for the planet, which then facilitates holistic health for the people. Because we're only as healthy as the planet. The planet can do fine without us, but we need it. So if we're not taking care of the planet, we're going to be gone. The Earth's going to be okay. Like, so if we can really focus on healing the planet by allowing nature to do what it does, which is work in these symbiotic relationships, and get out of this whole segregation model and get back into integration, that's where the, the magic lies. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. We hope you all had a great holiday. If there's one lesson that 2020 has taught, it's that sooner or later, health will become your number one concern. As we head into 2021, we wanted to help empower you all lead healthier lives. So today's guest is Rob Carney, a holistic health coach and the founder of Whole Health Connections. Rob has spent the last decade collaborating with nutritionists, acupuncturists, and massage therapists across the Boston area and now comes with a wealth of knowledge around all things health and well-being. In this week's episode, Rob shares his powerful story into holistic health, the six foundational principles of a healthy life, as well as his experiences with life's greatest teacher, the pain teacher. He also explains why self-care isn't selfish, but rather for the good of all, as well as the importance of seeking coherence between the brain, the heart, and the gut. As Rob explains, holistic health revolves around the idea that every single piece of the Earth's ecosystem is interconnected. That means that we are all connected. So we're hoping to help you become healthier this year so we can all become healthier together. We hope you enjoy this episode of Discover More with us and Rob Carney. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, excited to talk to you. As a fellow health coach, in my experience, having a story that connects into why health is important is very important. I was wondering if you could introduce us to how you got involved, why health is important to you, just your story and journey that brought you to coaching where you are now. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, it started about 10 years ago. So I'm 27. And when I was 17, I had a pretty bad concussion. Basically, at that point, that was my second concussion. I had my first one when I was 14. The you know, second one, I was actually water skiing, flipped over the wave, my skis hit me right under my eye, out in the water, kind of messed up my vision. I still get some double vision in certain directions. But basically, the moral of that story is I had to figure out a different way. I was a state swimmer. I was an athlete, and I couldn't then exercise for about five months without getting dizzy. I couldn't like spin around without getting lightheaded. So I had to basically completely reevaluate my life at 17 years old. And at that point, you know, I really got introduced to yoga. And that was really the only form of movement I could do. And 10 years ago, as a 17-year-old guy going into a yoga class, it was mostly moms at the YMCA I was going to. And people were looking at me like, you're in the right place. So got into yoga, led to meditation, um, which actually at the University of New Hampshire, which is where I went for my first two years of school, I was studying psychology and nutrition. 
I was the first guy to ever join the UNH Yoga Club, which was cool. And we had this lady from India who had been practicing meditation and mindfulness for, I think it was 46 years. And so she came in as a guest speaker. And we did this whole meditation thing, which I was completely ignorant to at uh, that point, 19 years old. And so basically, I was like, holy crap, this is mind changing. But my mind was going in different directions I didn't even know it could go. And so at that point, I started diving more into the psychology, more into the neuroscience. I started interning, working with nutritionists, acupuncturists, massage therapists, Reiki practitioners, basically anyone in the world of holistic health that would either let me work for them or work with them as an internship. So I did that on and off for a few years, ended up transferring to UMass Amherst um, and graduated with a degree in sustainable food and farming. One of my classes at UNH before I transferred was called Eco-Gastronomy, which is the study of food and food systems. So basically, I kind of recognized, wow, there's a whole nother layer to health than just the food we eat, because the food we eat needs to have good food. So the oil matters, the water matters, the air quality matters. So all these different components of the actual food we're consuming, whether that's plant or animal, completely matters on how healthy the food is because we can say oh lettuce is healthy but well is it you know grown in organic soil with really high quality soil good water good air etc or is it you know grown on a monoculture farm that has pesticides coming in bad air quality you know bad soil so that was a complete mind shift for me and just how i approached my health so fast forward a little bit after i graduated 2017 i went out to asia for about four months and lived in uh, Sri Lanka with my, my good friend from college, Sri Lankan. So I lived with him and his family for two months out there. Only American, no one else really spoke English besides his family, kind of middle of nowhere, jungles in Sri Lanka on his farm. It's like a 250 acre farm and it had uh, about 100 people that lived there. So it was a small village in a sense. Um, so I was working with him and really working with the kids and we were teaching each other Sinhalese, which is the Sri Lankan language down there. Um, and I was teaching them some English, just kind of back and forth, like pointed a stick and they said it in their language, I said it in mine. So it was just kind of that learning to communicate without a common language, which was really eye-opening. And also just to see the level of happiness and level of gratitude these people have, where most of them had never seen a, a cell phone before. I bring them my iPhone and they're like, what is that? They don't have TVs, a lot of them don't have computers, so they're just completely disconnected from a lot of the world. And, and most of them had never seen an American before, a white person before, someone with blue eyes, blonde hair, six foot one. It's like I stood like a sore thumb. So that was a completely humbling experience to me that after that, you know, it was kind of a transition to Thailand after Sri Lanka did a meditation retreat up there, traveled all over Thailand, went to Malaysia and the Philippines. And I remember coming back landing in JFK airport and for the first time I'm hearing English first time in like four and a half months hearing English all around me and it was so overwhelming because everybody was complaining everyone was just in a rush and stress and it was the complete opposite of this life that I had come accustomed to over the course of the four and a half months which seemed like four and a half years like I was so immersed in it that it felt like so much longer and I remember being like wow this is what my life was like before. I was always busy. I was always stressed. I was always complaining. And that was just a huge wake up call for myself to be like, holy crap, I need to take a step back. So 
after that, I tried to do a couple of jobs here and there. I was never a job person. I always had the entrepreneurial side, mowing lawns, you know, landscaping, selling Pokemon cards on eBay, whatever I could do <laughs> not to get a job. But coming back after Asia and having a really hard time adapting back, just like, you know, to people that I had been close with before, just again, recognize like, wow, there's a lot of negative energy going on here. After that, I moved out to Los Angeles with a startup company in the medical device industry. Um, learned from a lot of the best doctors and preventative screening tools and just preventative medicine in general. We were based on going to all the top conferences um, across the country, and this was a $50,000 piece of equipment. So you know, you'd have some high-end doctors coming in there. Got to hear a lot of the lectures and just learn about all that. And long story short, that, that company didn't quite start out the way it hoped. So back in 2018 in the fall, I moved back to Boston um, where I grew up. $10,000 in credit card debt and just had to be like, all right, now what do I do? So at that point, like any financial advisor would say, I spent more money and created my own business. So spent a couple thousand more dollars in there and started my own business going. And so that initially started as me referring people to a lot of the practitioners that I worked with or internship that I know and trusted. And, you know, I'd get like a referral fee and quickly realized that there's not much money in that. That's a one-time thing. And I was like, well, I got to work a lot for a small commission and then kind of transitioned more into sharing products. My buddy owns a mushroom revival. We went to college together. So I'm just a mushroom company. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to be the practitioner. I'm not going to refer to other people. I, I have accumulated so much knowledge and so much experience that I can really help people as a practitioner myself. So I started studying with the Czech Institute uh, fall 2018 and um, did my level one holistic lifestyle coach training in 2019. Probably did my level two in San Diego, learned from Angie and Paul Check. Um, met a lot of cool people, and things have just been getting better and better as time goes on. And at the end of the day, I can not be more grateful and, and really happy where, where things are and where things are going. So that's my very long-winded answer to uh, my story of uh, past to present. No, I, we appreciate it because it's definitely important kind of shows what experiences crafted you or created the coach and human that you are. I think a lot of things really jump out for me, specifically your experience abroad, because even though it was, what did you say, four to six months, it felt like four to six years just being so far removed and detached from American culture that like you mentioned, is so fast-paced. I find myself in that all the time of just having the timelines and the schedules. And stress, to me, almost feels like the most dangerous element of health that affects all of us on the everyday when we're not cognizant of it. And so having that perspective vastly shaped your coaching strategy, it sounds like you're probably more de-stress-oriented than put a lot of plates on the side of a barbell and go after it as hard as you can. A, wondering if you could expand on that a little bit of how stress management plays into your coaching styles, as well as practical tips as to how you advise clients on doing that. Also, um, before that, real quick, could you also explain what the Czech Institute entails for people who is not in the coaching industry? Because I don't know anything about that institute, and I think context is important. Totally. So Chuck, Paul Chuck is the founder. Um, he's been doing this whole holistic health thing for 40 plus years. He's worked with people. He was a personal coach for Tony Robbins. 
He's worked with the Chicago Blackhawks, the Chicago Bulls as a personal trainer and massage therapist and just, you know, holistic health practitioner. Uh, so he's worked with a lot of top athletes in the world, Olympians, uh, you, I mean, you name it. So basically, he used his own name, CHECK, as an acronym for Corrective Holistic Exercise Kinesiology. So the CHECK Institute kind of breaking down his name. And we basically focus on what he calls the six foundation principles. So moving, thinking, breathing nutrition, hydration, sleep. And those are kind of the areas that we mostly focus on. So when I was in high school, I almost enrolled in the Army, my senior year of high school. Thank God. Um, and stopped me from doing that. Then I joined the Air Force ROTC. Um, it actually sprained my spine before I went out there being an idiot, flipping into the pool, back on the side of the pool. Stupid, just cocky, you know, go up in front of my friends. You know, that kind of also was like a wake-up call that I couldn't do a lot of the PT with the Air Force, RTC, and ended up dropping out after about a semester of being in there. But basically, you know, as it relates to stress, and I've had a lot of injuries, as I mentioned, that it makes sense to me that a lot of those were due to stress. When I was living out in L.A., that was the first time I really bulked up by about 20, 25 pounds in about four months, just working out with my CEO, who was like the number four wrestler for the age 58 to 60 group in the country. So you look like a freaking superhero. The point being is that I was a swimmer, I always leaning. So we were, as I said, we were working a lot. I'm working 80-hour weeks, traveling from L.A. to Florida, L.A. to Charleston, South Carolina, just cross-country, you know, no days off for sometimes three, four weeks. And again, working 80 hours a week. So I was overly stressed, you know, overly stimulated. So I learned from her firsthand experience, even as someone who was, you know, at that point really focused on holistic health and taking care of myself, I was so overstressed. So I was like, if I'm aware of these things and I'm practicing these things and I'm still having stress, I'm getting injuries from being stressed and not sleeping well because of stress. I was like, wow, the average person must be really having a hard time because if I'm aware of this and they're not even aware of it and they're struggling. So... For me, the overarching theme that I focus on with anyone is evaluating stress levels and getting rid of as much stress as possible, first and foremost, and then we'll dive into the six foundation principles. Because if you, as I said, if you can't take care of stress, nothing else is going to fall into place. Yeah, I think that's a pretty remarkable story because I think one makes you stand out. Since on social media, the coaching industries are holistic health coach and life coaches are fairly oversaturated. But to me, what makes you stand out is you actually have a personal directive transformational journey and transformational experiences yourself that gave you firsthand experience and insight. And I do want to rewind your story a little bit because your mindfulness and your awareness with stress, your focus on stress reduction to optimize the lives of your clients and yourselves, that's what came out at the other end through your transformational journey. But I want to dig a little bit deeper into your process a little bit. And what I mean by that is I noticed earlier you you mentioned you got your first concussion that lasts about five weeks. And the second concussion from water skiing put you almost out of commissions entirely. And you were seeing doubles and it forced you to reevaluate where you're going in life. And it sounds like you were a pretty competitive athlete growing up. And I reckon when you're 17 years old, the identity or the soul identity of an athlete is overwhelming, right? Because I'm sure you've attached your worth, your self-worth to that identity of being an athlete. And I'm, so I'm sure the concussion and the outcome was devastating in terms of how you identified with your self-worth and who you are as a person, as Rob. I'd love to, I guess, pick your brains about that identity shift and how you dealt with that. 
because I see your identity shift and the struggle of it as a recurring theme that happened first time when you're water skiing and the concussion that happened again when you tried to go to the army or the air force ROTC and you've broken your spine due to the arrogance and due to that chill casing syndrome trying to show off. So I do see your macro and the micro theme of identity shift over and over again. And I think for you to answer how you dealt with that and what some of the processes looked like would really benefit. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I'd say for me, I feel like growing up, you know, I always felt like I had something to prove. Never felt like I was enough. And I feel like that's a common challenge that many of us face is kind of having that, that especially the male ego at that age is just so, <laughs> I don't know the right word, but just stupid at times. Just so cocky, so not thinking things clearly in my experience. And just, again, I just... I wanted to be cool. And I think that's really what it came down to. And I think that's what a lot of us, you know, want to be in high schools. Like we just want to be cool. We want to be the cool kid. We want to be the one that won all the swimming race. We want to be the one that knocked someone on their ass while we're playing the cross. Like whatever it was, I wanted to be someone. And I think that that was something that just came from a lack of self-confidence because I didn't feel like I was enough within myself. So I had to prove myself to other people. And so for me, as Paul Check says, the pain teacher is oftentimes the greatest teacher that we all need. And it's not until we meet that pain teacher that we can actually be able to change. And sometimes we need to hit that rock bottom spot because I was listening to uh, Luke's story and Aubrey Marcus on a podcast recently talk about if you have a pillow at the rock bottom, you keep going down and the pillow is only an inch thin. But if you keep going down and hitting the pillow and you soften your blow you're going to get back up and just go, like, oh, you're not going to change that much. But if you hit that rock bottom with no cushion, that's a whole nother wake up call. That is a shock to your system. And that's when you're like, Oh my God, I need to change. And so for me, again, I was doing flips in my pool, doing flips off bridges, you know, whatever I could do to, you know, one, I liked it, but a lot of it was for show, but it really took me banging my spine off. I was trying to do a handstand flip out of the handstand into the pool. And that's what, got me so it's like just trying to level up trying to show off and so the transformation piece i think really just came from being humbled by not by my own doing but by the pain teacher and so that's really what's moving forward from those lessons now i'm not going to repeat those again i remind myself just be humble and remember however great i think i am I'm not that great. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are better than me. And that's not, I'm not saying that in a comparison or a, a self-deprecating, that's just the reality. Like we're all good at different things and that's perfect. We're all great just the way we are. And if we can just recognize that we don't have anything to prove besides to ourselves, just like, you know, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret is a big motto that I'm uh, reminding myself of lately. It's just, you know, just be disciplined, just do the work every day, show up and do it or else you're going to regret it later. And that's a lot worse than the discipline. So I'm not sure if that directly answers your question. I feel like I just kind of went off on a little tangent there, but... Uh, yeah, I really resonate with what you said because I think humility is such a cornerstone or, to me, an important value in a life well-lived because often on the other side of humility, there's comparison. And there's the saying, I don't know who it goes to, but comparison is the thief of joy. And really, I think that embodies so much of it of when you're... I mean, and it comes back to what you said, when you're seeking externally and trying to prove yourself to other people, 
it takes away from the experience itself. And I think that's a constant reminder that I keep trying to remind myself. I mean, like you said, the ego is always with us. It's more pesky as we're young and uh, less self-aware, but it's still an ongoing process. One of the, I love the fact that you pointed out the pillow analogy, that pain can often be our biggest teacher. I'm reading the book Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty right now, and he has a line of, we have to break our own egos or else life will break up for us. The idea of a divine storm that a psychologist, Mastin Kip, talks about, and it's that a divine storm is one of those events that like shakes you up. You know, and from what I'm hearing you say is that the spot, your spine breaking when trying to do that flip was a divine storm that kind of forced you to reevaluate, forced you to gain a new perspective of yourself in the world. So I was on Ben's question a little bit, continuing with this identity theme. Was it the meditation and yoga? Was it a journaling practice, like some tangible ways of working through these difficult emotions? Because I think 17 is early for a lot of these divine storms and probably a lot of those ideas you were thinking about. So how did you navigate at that young of an age with such complex ideas of identity and ultimately who you wanted to be in the world? And I think that there's no one answer for that. The way that I tend to go about my life and my coaching with people is that you know, I'm not here to give you the skeleton key to life. I'm here to give you a lot of tools for your toolbox. And you may not use all those tools every single day. Like for me, I don't meditate every single day, but I do meditative practices every single day. For me, walking is a meditation. I don't bring my phone. I don't bring anything. I just walk. So, but sit still meditation. I did, I did do that this morning, but I didn't do that the past three days. It's just, I kind of let these tools come in as needed. And I'd say, to answer your question about when I was sick, with that identity break, I remember I started playing a lot of World of Warcraft. And because, <laughs> you know, that was a way, it was like, well, you know, again, probably in hindsight, I was terrible staring at a screen, which was, I was sensitive to lights. So, you know, I'd wear like sunglasses while I was playing. But it was like, I kind of poured my identity, again, into the external, into a character, something that wasn't me. It's like, well, if I can't be, and again, this wasn't conscious at the time, but looking back, if I can't be the best me in real life, I'll do it in the virtual world. And kind of projecting that into World of Warcraft. And it's like, you know, I kicked ass and I was really good at that game. But it was like I projected that in there. So at the end of the day, I think when it comes down to, you know, we're trying to find who we are and trying to really find balance within our lives and bounce back from a trauma. Because we all have traumas, no matter if we want to admit it or not. You know, we all have traumas, whether it's a family trauma, whether it's an abusive relationship, or maybe one that wasn't so clearly abusive, but was neglecting something that was, you know, kind of more subtle. And so I think that we're all dealing with traumas to some degree. And I don't think I know we are all dealing with some traumas to some degree, whether they're large or small. And so I think a lot of it is just acceptance of all that is and accepting where we are with what we have, you know, we can go back and blame everyone who wronged us or blame ourselves for not doing something differently, other would-haves, could-haves, should-haves. At the end of the day, it's like, you know, we're not really doing anything from that. So I always say acceptance is the first piece, and then forgiveness is the second piece. And that that's the tough part, because a lot of times, you know, we can accept it, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is what's happening, it is what it is. But then forgiving people, especially forgiving ourselves, I think that's where things get tough. So I'd say, like you said, a lot of the tools come down to having that awareness, which are things like journaling, like you mentioned, things like meditation, and things like actually having a community of people that you can open up with 
And I think that was something that I really discovered this past year with Ice and Iron that I really missed. I really realized that I was missing. And just a little quick, Ice and Iron, that's a wellness workshop that we do um, once or twice a month out here in the Boston area. And so it made me realize, I'm, I've always been someone who enjoys their solitude. I'm kind of an introvert at heart. I love my alone time. I love to be alone. I love to you know, just be in my office working or reading or stretching or doing whatever by myself. Like I love it. I cherish that time. That's essential for me to stay grounded. But we don't always need to do that. And again, coming back to tools in the arsenal, sometimes community is, is one of the most powerful tools we can have. So I, I think that really having space for community and recognizing at some of these events where we have people really opening up, we have a opening and closing circle and, and you know, having someone say, and I've been really lonely since uh, since March when all this uh, lockdown stuff happened. Just having that people to connect with and was getting really depressed. And then being here today reminded me, like, like I said, like it re-sparked something in them that allowed them to feel whole again and connected again and after feeling so isolated. So I think that just surrounding ourselves with the right people is just so important. Obviously, you guys being together, doing doing really cool stuff, doing great work. Those are people you want to surround yourself with. And that's why when we first linked up and, you know, I was looking into what you guys are doing, I was like, yeah, like I want to chat with you guys because you guys are doing cool stuff. And the more people that we can connect with that are doing cool stuff on a summer mission, you know, the happier, healthier, and more whole we're going to be. And at the end of the day is, you know, they say your vibe attracts your tribe. So if you're putting on good energy, good people can come in. You know, it's just, it's just a great blessing to be in a space where, I can accept all that I am and all that I was and all that I'm becoming and have an incredible community of people by my side growing with me and just have the opportunity to connect with people like you guys on a regular basis that, you know, just have cool conversations. So, again, sometimes I feel like I don't answer your question directly, but I hope that uh, I kind of go off my own little tangents there. No, we love the riffs. It is all so important. Uh, first and foremost, we definitely appreciate the good words. I think when we were in, uh, connected initially, we also realized like cool stuff going on, both at Ice and Iron and Whole Health Connections. Like, obviously, there's just a lot of interesting stuff that we want to explore with you. So, you know, I completely agree with the power of community. And when you mention it, it's almost a funny paradox of you said, I've discovered community in the year of a quarantine when everyone's supposed to be by themselves. You know what I mean? Pain teacher again. That's the pain teacher. We were forced into the pain of not having community that it made us recognize how important it is. Yeah, certainly. Like the biggest lessons are often there. So that's a really huge idea of the power of community moving into hope that's a lesson that people can continue to embrace as we move forward and recognize the pain of how much it stunk to live inside all of 2020 and bring those lessons forward to 2021. And I think talking about community, the idea of, you know, the benefit of all really comes up for me, benefiting as many people as possible. And that reminds me of the podcast that I listened to of yours recently. And you said one of your big lessons from 27 was I, we all. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because that's something that as I've been navigating my own health journey, sometimes it feels selfish to take 20 minutes of meditation and then 20 minutes of stretching and like doing all of these self-care practices sometimes feels selfish to not be putting other people first. But really, I think the I, we all idea really encaptures the importance of this. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so the I, we all stems from Paul Cech. Um, and he so kind of a couple of things I like to say with that is 
one, you can't pour from an empty cup, and two, bees don't make honey alone. So with those two things being said, when it comes to I, we all, the I is the most important because we see a lot of leaders right now in the world that are so focused on all, they're so disconnected from themselves, they have family dysfunction, their health is a mess, and they're out here telling me all what to do, but they have no no attachment to their I and their we, they have no integration with that, they have no balance within that, and it shows. You have some of these health ministers telling the world what we should do with their health, and they're completely out of whack in their own health, and they have family issues. And again, not that all family issues are their fault, but a lot of them are you know, self-induced because they're so focused on doing things for the all that they're so disconnected from themselves. So for me, like you said, we kind of live in a culture at times where it seemed to be selfish to focus on ourselves. Oh, you know, you shouldn't focus on you. Like, stop being selfish. Go, go help someone else. But again, you can't pour from an empty cup. So I personally believe that the best thing we can do for the world is to become the best version of ourselves. Because if every single person is becoming the best version of themselves, the whole world is pretty damn good. And you know, I think it really can be that simple. Is you know, if you can focus on you, and I can focus on me, and Ben can focus on him, and everyone else can just focus on them, getting themselves charged up, getting themselves healthy and vital. Now when we come together for the we, now it's not like one plus one equals two. Now it's like two squared. Now it's four squared. Now it's it's exponential growth because now we're a bunch of individuals coming together with collective energy and now that grows. So I see the I as you have to focus on yourself first. And that's where I think that is so important. When people first wake up, do not check your phone. Do not focus on the all. You're starting your day backwards. If you wake up and check your phone, you're looking at the all, you're looking at the world. No, start with the I. I, my phone's in airplane mode, and I tell myself, until I go for my morning walk, my phone does not come off airplane mode. Barring anything, it's like if I'm waiting for something or, you know, whatever. There's obviously exceptions to every rule, but focus on the eye first. I get up, I do my morning routine, then I focus on the we. Say good morning to my girlfriend. Say, you know, what's up to my friends who say, I focus on their messages first. Like my best friends are messaging me, like, before I go back to clients or whatever. Like, my we comes first before the all. So I, we, all. And then once you've mastered the I, then you can move to the we. Once you've mastered the we, then you can move to the all. And a little kind of just personal note on that is that I actually stopped doing one-on-one coaching in March. Um, I had my last client finished up March 1st, so I actually decided to take a break because with all the changes going on in the world, I felt discombobulated to myself and was kind of trying to figure out what I believe is going on. So there's a lot of different theories out there of what's actually happening. So I didn't really feel grounded in myself as I kind of felt like, all right, this is how I need to go back into the eye. So I actually stopped doing the coaching because it didn't feel right for me. And of course, yeah, like financially, like, oh, you idiot. Like you could have been making money that whole time. It's like, no, like it, it didn't feel right. So I actually took a step back to focus on the eye. And now I'm actually going to be relaunching the coaching in January, um, kind of in a different way, which is exciting as well. But yeah, I think the I, we all is just a great way to live by as a general philosophy and also structure your day. You know, I think that wake up, focus on the I, then the we, then the all. And, you know, again, starting with the phone, you're doing that backwards. 
Yeah, I think that's an incredibly powerful message that I hope everyone listened to it once, twice, and one more time. And I think that's in line with my personal belief of if you were to disservice other people, then you're also disservicing yourself. And by disservicing yourself, conversely, you're in turn directly disservicing other people. And I think the analogy of ecosystem comes to my mind to create a robust and vibrant ecosystem that benefits to every organism within the ecosystem. Each single organism must be robust and vibrant itself, right? To create, to constituent that ecosystem as a whole. So I, I love the I, we all mantra, the mission statement that you live by. And another theme that I see and hear from you and your story is the theme of experimentation, right? Because you talked about the power of community and the power of community building. And I think that also comes with a certain level of experimentation. You must experiment with certain people or maybe everyone to find the right core group that vibrance that's beneficial to your own growth. And your lesson of pain is the teacher. Aiden has a mantra that says pain reveals purpose. And I want to share my own little story real quick to hit that message home because I do believe that pain is a, the best teacher or often pain is the most powerful and the quickest teacher there is because pain has a way to instill those lessons very, very efficiently and effectively. And I do think that pain also reveals purpose. So I've had two greatest pain teachers the past five years. The first came around similar to pivoting moment from medical startup into this whole health connection and your identity as holistic health coach and practitioner. So mine happened back in 2016. I went to Penn State, uh, studied double major in economics and international relations. And I was chasing that success, that finance, that prestige, like everyone else was at, at the age of 21. And I worked for five, six months, utterly miserable. It was a very painful time for me because I was living for Fridays. I was the Sunday night was the worst day of my week because I was just utterly dreadful. So that pain taught me and cultivated and helped me find my purpose, which was nonprofit. So I took my first career pivot back in 2016. And my second pain teacher came during my army deployment. It's funny you say that your parents stopped you from going to the army. I'm happy for you because my parents didn't stop me. So I actually went into the army and I we had a unexpected last minute announcement of a deployment back in 2017 during the high tension with the North Korea. And that was a great pain teacher because I experienced my first major depression, which created a lot of mental health challenges and revealed a lot of childhood trauma and also prompted a lot of healing afterwards. So I've had two pain instances that revealed purpose and I've experienced these two pain teachers. But what I really think is important is the integration that came afterwards. Because many people as a collective experience pain, encounter pain numerous times, but not everyone transforms. Because I think to integrate that lesson from pain teachers, you must experiment with the lessons that was given or that was instilled. And you did that, right? You did farming for six months, if I recall correctly. You joined this medical startup from LA that made you work 80 plus hours and made you re reveal the utmost importance of reducing stress in your life and everyone else's. And you also found the power of community building. But all that only was possible for you because you experimented with your own life and your own experiences. 
So with that being said, I'd love to once again pick your brain. And since we are planning to release this episode in 2021 for January to set the new tone for the new year, because 2020 has been such a monstrosity. And we believe you have the context and the experience to share with the, our listeners effectively how to set the new tone for a new year. Yeah, how have you experimented with your pain teachers? Because I think experiencing pain itself is not enough. You must do something with the pain. So I'll love to hear your processes and some of the lessons they took away from integrating and experimenting with those pain. And first of all, before I dive into that, I want to say I love the nature analogy, analogy of the ecosystem. So I definitely love to go into those uh, a little bit later. I love any, any sort of nature uh, analogies there. Um, but yeah, in terms of experimenting, I think it really just comes down to another little mantra. I like to say that I, I aim to be open to everything and attached to nothing. So if you give me more information that tells me I'm doing something better than I'm doing now, cool. Like, I'm going to give that a try and, you know, prove me wrong. Like, I, I'm not here to say I'm right about everything. I want to be shown a different way because I know that there's ways that I can better optimize what I'm doing. You know, I think I have a lot of things I'm doing well, but I know there's a lot of things I can do better. So with that being said, I think a lot of that just stems from being open to, one, again, coming back to the ego, got to be open to being wrong and being open to being shown a better way and being open to trying something different, being open to being a little uncomfortable because anytime we start something new, it's uncomfortable. You know, I like the analogy of um, one of my, uh, at the Czech Institute, I met someone who says that he aims to be a white belt with something every single week, meaning that you're trying something new and you're just the most basic level, you know nothing about this. And he's like, just be a white belt every single week at something. You know, it could be, you know, you pick up a guitar this week, it could be, you know, you've never gone sprinting in the past 20 years or something, go for a sprint or whatever the case is, something new take a knitting class. So something that pushes your comfort zone. So I just say for me with experimenting is come back to the toolbox. I like to have a lot of tools in my toolbox. I like to try a lot of new things. I like to have new experiences, talk to new people. And I think a lot of that comes from being okay with being uncomfortable. So one of my favorite tips for being uncomfortable is cold showers. And I've been saying this since I was in uh, college, I think when I was 21, so about six years ago, I did a presentation to my class about cold showers. And I think there was about two people of like the 30 some of the people in the class that said they did. And they're, oh my God, it was amazing. But everyone else was like, what is this crazy dude talking about? I'm going to take a freaking cold shower. So, but for me, if I can get into that shower and I look at the shower, I'm like, this is going to be cold. I know, I, I look at it like, oh, damn, I know this is going to be cold. And I do it anyway. I turn the shower on cold. All of a sudden, I just accomplished something this day. I did something that's uncomfortable. And now the rest of my day, this tone is set that I can accomplish things that are uncomfortable. I can push myself beyond my, my mental game of comfort because we are so lucky to live in the time we have that we have all these comforts. We have a roof over our head, most of us. You know, we have running water. We have heat. You know, <laughs> heat in and of itself is a crazy concept to think that right now I'm looking at snow outside and inside it's probably 60 something degrees in here like that's that right there just shows how how cushioned we can be at times so i say that actively searching for discomfort is a great way to experiment with things in general you know i have to walk barefoot just about everywhere i go even today when i was walking to my car 28 degrees outside i walked barefoot to my car 
you know, just do little things all the time. You know, when you go to your mailbox, walk barefoot, do something uncomfortable. And those are little things I say to my coaching clients. They go, when you get the mail, just, just walk barefoot. Or in your garage, if you have a garage, you know, the concrete floor is cold. Walk to your car barefoot, grab some of that, and they come back like 15 seconds. Doesn't need to be crazy. But I think it just comes down to we got we got to try different things. We got to put ourselves out there because, you know, one thing that um, my mentor Troy Casey said to me the other day is like the secret to business is not keeping your business a secret. And a lot of people have a lot of discomfort in sharing themselves and putting themselves out there, myself included, because we all have like a sales bias. Like, oh, you know, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to be whatever. That's uncomfortable. But you got to experiment with that because, you know, if you don't put yourself out there and tell people what you're doing, how are they going to support you? And that's one thing that I've been working towards being more consistent with is just sharing what I do because it is a little uncomfortable for me still. Because sometimes, like, am I annoying people? Like, am I, you know, trying to say bye for me, bye for me, support me, support me too much? But at the end of the day is, especially with social media, is like, you know, if you put it out there and it gets 100 views. You know, probably 50% of those people aren't the people that saw the last time you posted about it. You know, people are constantly turning over. So, again, it just I think it just comes down to just putting yourself out there, being uncomfortable, making yourself uncomfortable as often as you can because that makes every other aspect of your life a lot easier. Definitely, man. I love the points that you brought up specifically around comfort and then seeking and embracing that discomfort. Because especially in the time we live in now, you know, you can order three different types of takeout to your couch with the click of a button. You know, in hindsight, our ancestors and stuff were kind of going around foraging, having to hunt for food. Like it's just such a vastly different world of how convenient everything is. I mean, even doing laundry, uh, one of our previous guests lived in Senegal for a period of time, and she said she'd be hand-washing her clothing, then putting them up on the line. Like, it was everything was such a process, whereas here you dump it into the laundry bin, hit start, and wait for 50 minutes. And it's just such a different world. And on that note, the work of Mark Manson really comes up for me. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck and his... He has a quote that it's, you are defined by what you're willing to struggle for. So kind of like seeking out problems, which to what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that you're seeking out problems in your business or problems being salesy or kind of like those bigger, larger discomforts and being willing to struggle them is ultimately shaping your values and kind of what what you're putting out into the world. So I was wondering, A, it sounds like you're familiar with his work, but explore a little bit for us how that's impacted your life how you choose your problems and or things that you're willing to struggle for well i can say i've listened to the subtle art not giving fuck at least five times it was when it first came out i remember it being like holy shit this if i write a book it's gonna be like this this is awesome i was like he has no filter he's swearing left and right he's just just completely, truly, authentically him, not toning it down at all. And so I, at first of all, have so much respect for him just as a human being. And I remember listening to him talk on a podcast one time saying, like, his goal is to be a New York Times best-selling author. And in his first book, he became a New York Times best-selling author with that book. And he had, like, an identity crisis. He was like, I thought this was going to take me 20 years. And I have 20 years, like, I don't know what to do now. So that was really cool to hear him say that. What was the other part of your question there? I kind just, of yeah, I mean, if you've listened to it five times, A, if you could add some color for the listeners of like what the big ideas of that book were and ultimately how it impacted your life. Got it. 
Yeah, so I'd say it kind of comes back to just trying new things and pushing the comfort zone. And I think also recognizing that there's always going to be problems. And another one of my mentors always said that you're always going to have problems. You just want to upgrade the quality of your problems. So Warren Buffett has money problems. They're different money problems than you and I have, but they're money problems nonetheless. He has a higher quality of money problems. You know, he's still trying to figure out how to optimize his finances just like anyone and it's easy for someone to say oh there's no way he has money problems he's a multi-billionaire and it's like well you know it's just a bigger scale <laughs> it's just the same thing just on a higher scale and that guy he probably has a lot more in savings a lot more investments a lot more money coming in but at the end of the day he's worked really hard for that and i think that we also live in a time where it's easy to tear down successful people saying oh they should give to everyone else it was like how about these people that work their face off for 100 hours a week for 20 years to get there it's like no i don't want to tear that person down i can graduate that person and learn from them like teach me what you learned and like show me what i can do because of course they're going to say oh you don't need to work 100 hours a week i learned this after year 20 so if you do that, maybe you can work through this working 50 hours a week. It's like, all right, so I'm going to start learning from these people. And so kind of getting back to the Mark Manson idea, I think that just recognizing that, especially in the era of social media, and again, being someone who played video games growing up, it was so easy to type a nasty comment to someone and be like, I have no idea who I am. I can just, you know, make fun of them. It makes me feel a little bit better. But then at the end of the day, you feel like a shittier person because you really just put someone down to try to seem cool or whatever in the moment. So I think they're recognizing that people are going to be tearing us down on social media left and right, no matter what. Like there's always going to be that one hater. And we tend to focus on if we have 27 positive comments and one negative comment, we get caught up on that one negative comment. If they don't like myself, they said that I said something wrong or whatever. And I remember, especially when I was first putting out some YouTube videos, not that I'm big on YouTube, I think I have like 250 subscribers, like small account, but. Even a, a few months ago, someone made a comment like, "Oh, this is this is a shitty video," like blah blah blah, and like part of me like, "Damn, <laughs> like wow!" Like, like granted, there's like one other comment, so it's like the one that comment. But even today, it's kind of like, "Wow, that does sting." I think that's just at a core human level, we want to be accepted. And we want to be part of a community. We want to be glorified and edified and to feel like more important. So I think the lessons from that book is just recognizing that it's it's inherent in human nature to want that, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, we don't need that. And there are always going to be people out there that are looking to tear other people down to make themselves feel better. But I think that we know that that's not a practice rooted in love, so it's not a sustainable practice. And eventually the pain teacher will swing back and, and bring that, that troll down to speed. They're going to hit that rock bottom, and they're going to have to bounce back up and be like, wow, I just was spending in the past... 10 years just tearing people up so yeah i think it just comes down to recognizing that these things exist and you know just i guess at the end they just getting tougher skin and just recognizing that these these bolts are going to come these these people are going to be slashing at you and you just got to keep moving forward regardless mm -hmm. yeah i like to echo your sentiment i love that book when i first came across it on a bookshelf in bars and nobles i thought it was like a manga or a, i was like what kind of book is this the subtle art of not giving a fuck but once I actually read it, uh, I do want to add a little bit more context for the listeners who maybe haven't read this book yet. So the basic thesis of the book is about, it's not so much about not giving a fuck, but more about allocating your fucks to give. So it's about in life, there's only a finite amount of fucks left based on the decisions and your circumstances. So let's not attach a fuck to everything in life, but focus on the core four or five few things that are close and dear to your heart 
and true prioritize those fucks over the other uh, less essential. Um, I just feels weird. I've never said this many F-words back to back. <laughs> I think that ties beautifully into my next question because you've been talking about seeking intentionally so a discomfort to make the remaining areas of life more comfortable because without discomfort, you're not going to be able to accept or even embrace the comfort that comes with it. Uh, just like the light of like the light and darkness are usually back to back and there's a lot of connectivity there. And I think what made the people in this world, but especially America, so deeply uncomfortable the past nine months is COVID, right? COVID was a masterclass in a clusterfuck of discomfort, which really upset a lot of people's lives and millions of people's lives been lost, love been lost, jobs been lost. And I know in Stoicism, it's a common practice to uh, practice some deep level of discomfort every quarter or every time span so that you're more accustomed to it, you're more acclimated to that discomfort so that when uh, devastating situations or tragedies do happen in your life, you're not hit as hard by that because you have that habitual practice. And you are definitely someone who comes with that habitual practice of uh, discomfort and which is a reason why you have this profound appreciation for the comfort because you have exposure to both. So for the past nine months and even ongoing due to the COVID is still unfolding as it is and it's still definitely a huge barrier to a lot of people's lives. What areas have you allocated your fucks the past nine months uh, since COVID? And you know, what are some of the coaching conversations or some of the conversations look like when you're telling your clients i know you're in the rebranding phase but if you were to carry your practices like you had uh, during this extremely difficult nine months of discomfort you know how would you recommend people to allocate their fucks optimally to truly optimize their life and what are some of the core areas that you focus so much on because you do come with a high and hyper level of awareness that not many people share yeah i'd say just to kind of be a little bit more clear, I'm, I'm still doing coaching more with my Purium team, which is my network marketing business, and then within ice and I. And so I'm still doing coaching. It's just not in the same way that I was. So I'm still coaching people left and right. So definitely one thing that I've shared with people during this time is, you know, this is an opportunity. This really is an opportunity. Like, stop looking at it as the worst thing that's ever happened. Stop, you know, naming it or labeling it as whatever like let's let's flip this script and say all right this is an opportunity for me to become more clear on what actually matters this is an opportunity for me to really focus on what i want to do in the world and you know the whole idea of a safe job is out the window people are getting fired like go told what's essential what's not essential you know you thought you had a central business government says no so it's like all of a sudden you're out of work so for me, I'm just saying to people, like, if you've ever wanted to try something, like, this is the time to try something. Like, if you wanted to start that business for the best 10 years, you've been procrastinating, like, I, I don't know what's a more clear sign for you to, to give that a go right now. So, for me, it just comes down to being very clear on your purpose. Like, what do you want to do? And not what do you think you should do. What's going to be a safe job or what's going to be giving you the best benefits or, or should I go back to grad school because my parents said I should. Like, what do you want to do? And I think that's the big question is what do you want to do? Not what should I do? And that's a, that's those are two very different questions. So, 
a lot of it comes down to doing things like journaling, doing things like meditation, doing things like walking without, you know, without a phone, just to let your brain kind of mull over these thoughts and, you know, let that intuition rise up to, to tell you. Another practice to really get to that place is we tend to be very focused as a Western culture with our brain. We kind of let the brain, brain's kind of like the dictator of our life. It's like, oh, the brain thinks this, I'm going to do that. I was like, well, we also have the other two major centers of the body, which is the heart and the gut. So if we can really find balance between the brain, the heart, and the gut and have that coherence between the three, now we're much more aligned. Now we're not so thinking, but we have, you know, that whole gut instinct thing that, remember, we used to talk about that when, you know, we have a gut instinct and people are like, oh, no, don't listen to that, listen to your brain. It's like, no, well, have you ever had a gut instinct ignore that and said, oh, that was a good choice? Like, for me, I, I can't think of a time that I had a gut instinct ignored and said, oh, I'm glad I ignored that gut instinct. Or your heart is telling you to do something. And your brain is saying, ah, you know, you don't really want to do that. There is some level of intelligence we can find when we balance ourselves with the, the brain, the heart, and the gut. So things that we can do like that, again, meditation, journaling, walking, all these things. But also just being more in tune with our health and allowing ourselves to de-stress is really what that's going to come down to. Because like we said in the beginning, if you're stressed you're not in balance, you're out of balance. And immediately when you're stressed, you're in that sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight mode. When you're in sympathetic nervous system, you're focused on fighting or fleeing. You have stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, all these other hormones pumping through you, causing inflammation in the body. When you really think of exercise, if you look at it, at what exercise does, it's terrible for you at the base level. But when you really break it down that if you give yourself time to recover, it's a really great thing. But if you're exercising all the time, you're tearing your body apart. And that's what we're doing with our stress. So if we can find balance and get ourselves into that parasympathetic state, that rest and digest state, now all of a sudden, whoa, I can rest and digest. My heart is beating slower. It's not boom, 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 boom. I'm not breathing shallowly through my mouth into my chest like a sympathetic response. Now I'm breathing deeply slowly into my belly, then my chest, through my nose. Now we're using this whole system we have in touch with us. So for me, I one thing I tell people is just get into that parasympathetic state as much as we can. And part of being able to do that is having hormetic stressors. Hormesis is basically having small amounts of stress that improve your, you know, your body's resilience as a whole. So exercise is a hormetic stressor. Again, if you look at the symptoms of exercise, you could say it's a bad thing. But if you use that in the right dosage, it can be a really good thing. Same thing with cold showers. If you stay in an ice bath for 24 hours, you're probably going to have some complications. But if you stay in there for five minutes, that's going to be a lot better. Same thing with sauna. Stay in there for 20 minutes, however long you do. So really allowing ourselves to find these stressors, get them in the right dosage, and also getting ourselves back into parasympathetic state after we're in that state of stress. So finding acute stress, getting rid of chronic stress, because chronic stress is really the big issue. It's not the acute stress. Our body can adapt to that very easily, but it's the chronic stress. So really getting ourselves into that parasympathetic. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just say stop watching the news. Like, you need to stop filling your brain with this negative 
garbage that's just coming in. Like if you if you spend your whole day watching the news, you're gonna think that the whole world is falling apart. That you are not safe anywhere, even in your own home. Whatever the case may be, we need to tune into finding the balance within ourselves and finding what's true within ourselves. Because if we let other people tell us, again, that's a brain side. If we're just listening and, and just saying that everything someone else, because they're on a TV, says is true, we're not in balance. So if we can find that balance by getting into the parasympathetic nervous system, and all of a sudden we may hear something and say, wait a second, that doesn't feel right. Not, not, I don't think that's right. That doesn't feel right. And that's a different thing that I look for when I'm talking to people. It's not, it's, oh, I don't think so. Versus... Or I think that's right, or I feel that's right. When someone says I feel, that means they're more in tune with all three of their centers as opposed to I think. It means they're up here. So at the end of the day on this <laughs> this episode of Rob's Riffs, uh, I think it really comes down to just getting balanced, finding those hormetic stressors, and then getting ourselves into parasympathetic mode however we can. Breathing, meditation, walking, journaling. Expressing love and gratitude is a huge one, um, and community community can be great for that. I love that you're talking about all of this stuff, and it's just to point out for the listeners, I think evident that you practice what you're preaching is that every time we ask you a question, we can see you closing your eyes, taking a big breath, and almost feeling into your response of what you're going to answer, which we deeply appreciate and definitely acknowledge because it kind of shows you are coherently answering our questions and not just letting the mind take over. And I think this is such an important conversation because it's contrary to a lot of the information around health and fitness. I think Instagram and just like the fitness industry in general talks about, oh, how much pre-workout are you taking and how much can you beast mode through this workout? Totally grueling. And I mean, I fell victim to this while I was working in public accounting. Uh, This is a little bit of my fitness story. I would basically value my fitness, my workouts more than anything else. So it would be a 12 hour day commuting to an hour both ways get home at 10 p.m. and still pound a 200 milligram thing of caffeine and go to the gym. So I'd be working out 12 to noon. On paper, I thought I was doing right because I was following some Instagram influencers back and buys workout and pushing my body to the limit. But to your point, in fact, all I needed was stress reduction, maybe some yoga and some breathing techniques. And I think my philosophy has completely shifted a large part of i wear a whoop now and it kind of gives me my recovery rates how my body's responding to my training and stress so if i go to work and wake up the next day and i'm stressed just from a 12-hour workday i'm going to skip my workout that day you know take a long walk in the morning or do some yoga and i think that's so valuable because our culture kind of like you mentioned is always very fast-paced pushing you to do more and more like the more is always better And even you can see that kind of transcend through just not fitness, but like buying more things is better. If you can buy one, get one free, that's better than just buying one. Like it's just always, I feel like America has this fixation on more is always better. But I think that beautifully illustrates your almost coaching philosophy of more sometimes is good, but just enough. Kind of like the minimum effective dose is the big concept that's coming up for me. Uh, I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. I mean, you talked a bit about cold showers. I doubt you're doing 15-minute cold showers every day, but, you know, just a little bit, whether that's 30 seconds, two minutes. What is this minimum effective dose 
land for you and how do you implement that in your everyday life? Because I think it, when utilized correctly, a minimum effective dose isn't a get out of jail free card from not doing your workout, but it's being more intentional, more thoughtful, and ultimately like coherent and aligned with the practices that you're taking part in. Yes, I love all that. And I'd say, hmm, for me, what I find to be the most effective in terms of my, the six foundation principles, we look at moving, thinking, breathing, nutrition, hydration, sleep. And those aren't just one size fits all. There are yin and yang, more or less, all these different ranges within each of those. So let's say thinking, let's start with that one. Well, do I need to think more about what I want to do? Do I want to think more about this project? Or should I think less and take a step back? Is that the most effective for me right now? So I have to look at all these six foundation principles and kind of analyze, all right, nutrition. You know, am I eating too much? Am I not eating enough? Am I eating the right quantities of this? Just kind of looking at every angle of each of these principles. Movement, I think, is one that you were just touching on. I think that is in my opinion, one of the most important things that we can implement to any single day. I think that, not I think, I know if you're physically capable, you should be moving every single day, whether that's walking, whether that's strength training, whether that's yoga, whether that's if you are if you have physical challenges, if that's just standing up and sitting back down, if that's all you can do, do that. So I think that there is no one-size-fits-all for anything. For me when that comes to movements, the day, like I can have a plan, oh, tomorrow I'm going to do, you know, back and chest or whatever my plan is for the day. But if I wake up and I'm like, man, you know, I slept around, my neck's kind of hurting me, you know, I'm still pretty sore on my arms from yesterday. You know, maybe the best thing to do isn't to do that back and chest workout. Maybe it's to go for a long walk. Or maybe it's to, you know, do some light movement with I have maces and clubs. And those are great for movement because it's not a lot of weight, but I'm moving all the muscles, getting my acid falling. Maybe it's getting a massage. Maybe it's using my Theragun to, to break it up. But just, again, having tools in the arsenal, not being so attached to one thing that we have to do because we wrote it on a workout plan. And God forbid we ever break that workout plan, that piece of paper that we just gave all this power to is like, well, what if we actually tuned into our body and coming back and being in coherence with our with our system? If we can ask our body, not with our brain, not say, because that's how I got injured when I was in L.A., is I was so sore, I was feeling a little bit of pain, and then all of a sudden I was saying, you know, I'm just going to I'm gonna work out today. And then I did the same thing the next day. You know, just keep going, keep going. So I think it just comes down to being able to listen to our body and recognizing that, we're listening to our body and our brain. So our brain, like you said, in this go-go-go environment, is always going to us to do more. Or if we're on the other side of the spectrum and we feel like we're kind of in that lethargic, lazy state and maybe telling us to not work out. So just kind of recognizing where we're at as individuals because I tend to be in the go-go-go more, more, more. But there are days where I kind of get in a lazy state as well. Kind of one thing, I don't know if you want to go into this now, but you mentioned about uh, making 2021 a better year. Because I feel like that's kind of one thing I like to hold around this topic if that works for you guys. Yeah, definitely. So kind of on this note, an analogy I can use when it comes to prioritizing my day is I like to think of you have big rocks, you have small rocks, and you have sand. So if you put the sand in first and the small rocks, you're not going to be able to fit the big rocks in. 
because you know you've already filled the blood space but you put the big rocks first then the small rocks and the sand's going to fill in all the rest so it's really about prioritizing things so for me one of my big rocks is movement and as it comes to my health i have my main big rock is movement because the other ones like hydration and other things i have down pretty well just from doing them for a long time but for someone else maybe hydration your big rock is when you first wake up drink a bottle of water for me i try to drink like two and a half bottles of water with a little salt maybe a little lemon it's an electrolyte filling but making the big rocks a priority and doing those as soon as possible so those are the main pieces of the day so if hell breaks loose and you can get your small rocks in your sand you know that's, that's okay you got your big rocks done i like to say for people you know find your big rocks Commit yourself. Again, come back to the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Discipline yourself enough to make those big rocks. And don't give yourself 10 big rocks if you've never had a big rock. Like, start with one. Like, if you can only commit to one, like, start with one. That's great. That's an improvement. Like, we don't need to do everything at once. We don't overwhelm ourselves. Choose one big rock. If your big rock is moving, I'm going to move every day. All right. Now commit to that. And I'll make it happen. And then when that's now kind of second nature, all right, now that's normal. Now I'm going to put in a different big rock. Those are big things that I like to say. And then, but I'd say for the core of a morning routine, I'd say movement, hydration, and light. Just however you get it, the quality water, preferably spring water, not tap water. If you're going to do tap water, please get a filter. <laughs> um, you know, Put some salt in there, some lemons, something to get a little electrolytes because your body's going to dehydrate. You have to drink water and hopefully eight, nine hours if you slept that long. Um, and then light. You know, our body is very sensitive to light as it relates to our circadian rhythm. So... Out here in Boston, it's gray basically the entire winter. So there's virtually no sunlight coming in. So I got the red light therapy device, um, which that's been really helpful. So that's, you know, I start off my day, get a little red light in me, kind of get my circadian rhythm in check. So movement, hydration, and lights. And if you're lucky enough to be in somewhere like California or Hawaii that you get sunlight all the time, just get outside. Like, that's another thing is if you can get outside to do all those things, that's even better. But work with what you got. The entire message board you just put out with intentional prioritization and routines are something that we definitely could stand behind on and we could echo and we agree 100%. I do want to go a little backwards and unpack your message and your philosophy of your head, heart, and gut cohesion illustrated with your whole mission, which is holistic health, right? I've I've shared this to my clients uh, since I work in the nonprofit uh, policy around anytime you have a serious dilemma, if you listen to your head, your head could be wrong and it could lie to you because of your intellectual understanding, because of the misinformations or whatever. But when you listen to your heart, your heart could also be wrong due to unexposure, due to lack of information, due to circumstances. However, your heart never lies to you. So the difference is your head could lie to you and it could be wrong. And your heart may be wrong, but it never lies to you. And I think that's in accordance with what you shared about every time you've ignored your gut instinct, you know, you've never not regretted it because you do know that there's something deeper in there that you're in tune with. And it's probably would be a disservice by ignoring that. And the one thing that you gloss over when you wake up rough due to stress, due to lack of sleep on certain day, you're going to not work out, but rather take a long walk or do something else by being in tune and listening to your body. But I think there is a fine line between laser sharp intentional focus and being lazy with the intention. 
Some people might take that as, oh, I just don't feel as well on Tuesday morning. I don't want to do likes, so I'm just going to skip out and take a walk instead. We're not saying it's a lazy cop out, but we're saying you have to listen to your body and you have to feel what your body's calling out for. Because by working out on that Tuesday, it might overstress your system or your nervous systems, whereas taking a walk, walk might be a more beneficial. And I think the only way to achieve that is through lots of practices. You're super in tune with your body, with your mind, gut, and health cohesion because you've put years of practices in. You've practiced mindfulness for a prolonged period of time, but for some people who haven't done so, they might not be able to tell that. So I just want to clarify that for the people that it's not about being lazy when you don't feel like working out, but it's about being hyper-intentional about how your body's feeling. And to be in tune with that feeling, you must practice an experiment, which is what we talked about before. So with all being said, I think this is a perfect segue into, I'd argue, your most important identity, which is your whole health connection uh, with the underlying theme of holistic health. And just from your what you studied in college, go all the way back, you study sustainable food and farming, which is not a too common major in college, but it shows that you've been in tune maybe subconsciously or unknowingly about the importance of holistic living. Because I think holistic living is a pretty overused slogan nowadays. Everyone's a holistic coach. Everyone's a life coach. But what does that mean to you about the holistic living and what are some of the practices you've learned, you've used along the way to carry out this holistic living passion and mission through your whole health connection? So holistic health to me, and there's a lot in there, but I say at the most basic level, it's the recognition that every single piece of this planet is interconnected from the bacteria in our soil the bacteria in our gut, to the sun in the sky, to the water, the food, everything. So with that being said, if we are destroying our soil, that is in turn destroying us because we actually have more bacteria in our gut than we have human cells in our body. So recognize that we're actually more bacteria than we are human. With that being said, to me, holistic health is the understanding that everything is intimately connected. In, in uh, Western society, we tend to take things as pieces and try to segregate them and put them into little boxes. Say, oh, you know, this vitamin is good for that, or that vitamin is good for this, or if I take a vitamin D supplement, that's going to be good for this. But a lot of times, you know, let's say for potassium, for example, a lot of the benefits of potassium, specifically when you extract from a banana, needs a lot of those other aspects of the banana to be absorbed well. Or, you know, a lot of vitamins are fat-soluble. So we're giving people multivitamins, but fat-soluble vitamins with no fat in the formula. So they can't even absorb it. So to me, it's just that everything is connected. And when we start to segregate things and start to isolate things, you know, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. In this Western society where there's a pill for everything, there's a Band-Aid for every symptom, we're going after symptoms, we're not going after root causes. And by giving one thing to target one problem, which is really a symptom, not the root cause, we're then causing all these other symptoms to rise up. And we're just kind of playing whack-a-mole, trying to get symptoms without actually going down and finding where the mole is, playing it's a little young. So that's kind of my little general overview of holistic health. And to me, holistic health... People think of health as fitness and food. 
But there, again, there's so many layers to that. It also is how well you're breathing. Coming back to the six foundation principles, moving, thinking, breathing, nutrition, hydration, sleep, and every aspect of that. And I know you want to touch on um, farming a little bit here. So kind of going to the nutrition side, like we mentioned earlier, if we're not eating organic food and those are covered in chemicals and then we're absorbing them into our body, you could be eating lettuce and you can say, oh, lettuce is healthy. But if you're eating lettuce with chemicals that grew in crappy soil so it doesn't have a lot of vitamins in the actual lettuce, you know, you're actually not eating something healthy. You're actually probably eating something that's pretty toxic for you. And I think they did a study that was the lettuce we had, I think it was 60 years ago, because the Green Revolution was in the 1940s when we started using pesticides at a commercial level. So a little over 60 years ago, 80 years ago. Anyway, something like that. They tested lettuce and found that it has 100 times less nutrition now than it did about 80 years ago. So you'd have to eat 100 times the amount of lettuce to get what you did back then. So that being said, that's going to be, that's the study in a conventional farm, a non-organic farm. It's a monoculture scoring one thing. There's no nutrition in the soil. So if we looked to the farming aspect where we start having small farms, local farms, and we're having organic food growing together, and you have lettuce here, you have tomatoes here, you have hemp here, bamboo, whatever you're growing, you know, all together – that allows things to work together because different plants need different nutrients. And we're using things like fungicides, trying to kill fungus. Fungus and plants have a very symbiotic relationship. So the roots of the fungus are called mycelium. And basically mycelium, like whenever you open soil, you see the little white, kind of little white root-like looking things, that's mycelium. So what oftentimes fungus, mycelium, and the roots of a plant will do is they'll act, the mycelium will actually coat the roots and then that way, they're engaging in an exchange of nutrients because the fungus need completely different nutrients in the plant. The plant needs completely different nutrients than the fungus. So they're actually trading. So the fungus is taking some ends like, hey, I don't need that. I'm going to give that to you. The plant's saying, hey, I'm taking this and I don't need that. I'm going to give this to you. So when we start to segregate things and grow things one thing at a time, we're losing out on the natural processes of things like the, the fungi and the plant's interconnection. You know, one of my favorite examples is if you get a fruit tree and you put chickens under the fruit tree, the fruit's going to drop. That's food for the chickens. The chickens poop, and you're feeding the soil for the tree, and it's a symbiotic relationship. So if you can create these symbiotic relationships, that's holistic health, and that's holistic health for the planet. So if we are thinking holistically and as stewards, I like to think of myself as a steward of the planet. My job is to help facilitate holistic health for the planet which then facilitates holistic health for the people because we're only as healthy as a planet. The planet can do fine without us, but we need it. So if we're not taking care of the planet, we're going to be gone. The Earth's going to be okay. Like, so if we can really focus on healing the planet by allowing nature to do what it does, which is work in these symbiotic relationships and get out of this whole segregation model and get back into integration, that's where the, the magic lies. To me, it just kind of comes down to just being smarter and allowing nature to be itself because nature is beautiful, nature is perfect, and it knows what it's doing a lot better than we do. And again, we tend to use our brains too much, so we can kind of go in full circle with everything we talk about. Definitely, man. It's almost like the whole health connections is illustrating this larger point of the interconnectedness of everything, which I absolutely love. There is the saying, you are what you eat. But then take it a step further as you are what you eat, ate, whether the plants are nutrient dense from what was feeding them. I think you've beautifully illustrated the importance of having the interconnectedness. But I think 
I'd like to explore a little bit the harm of these chemicals that are in them. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, buy organic because you won't have chemicals, but why are these chemicals actually harmful of them? One type that comes to mind a lot is glyphosate, which I know or have heard you talk about a lot, but could we just explore why these are harmful? Obviously having chemicals in our body just sounds bad from the start, but are they disrupting the gut? Are they disrupting the way we think or our sleep? What are the biggest rocks of pesticides and herbicides affect on the human body? Love that. And I'm really glad you dove into that because I kind of meant to touch on that. So thank you for bringing that to our awareness. So kind of just a little history. After World War II, basically, they started using the chemical from Agent Orange which is basically they're using gas chambers to kill millions of people. So if we can use that on a larger scale to kill millions of people, what is that doing at a small level? I can say definitely nothing good. So originally, they found that when they sprayed this glyphosate, which is a derivative of Agent Orange, on their crops, they got much larger yields because bugs stopped eating it, um, you know, because they genetically modified the crops to be resistant to it. But just because it's resistant to it with its genetic modification doesn't mean they're not still holding on to it and that we don't absorb it. So basically they were spraying it and they got all these great yields for about three to five years. Their yields just skyrocketed because nothing was eating it anymore. But then they realized their yields started to get, go down and down and down and down and down. They had to start using more chemicals, more genetically modified foods because they were killing all the microbes in the soil, all the bacteria. And again, coming back to the fact like we said earlier, we have more bacteria in our body than human cells. So what happens now if these pesticides that are killing bacteria are now being introduced to our body when we're more bacteria than we are human? Not good things. So now we're killing the bacteria in our body. And when we really, when it really comes down to is we're not, the human body isn't really digesting the food. It's the bacteria in our gut that are breaking down the food and eating that. And it's the bacteria that's sending things out. And so our gut microbiome is arguably one of the most underlooked parts of human health. So we produce neurotransmitters, we produce hormones from the gut. I think it's like 80 to 90% of serotonin, which is one of the happiness chemicals, is produced from our gut. So if we are killing the bacteria in our gut, one, you wonder why people have these big beer bellies. It's not, it's not the beer, it's the inflammation, and it's the fact that you can't digest anything, and just toxins are building up. Our body stores toxins in fat cells. It's very smart. It encapsulates them in a fat cell so it can't get out to the rest of the body. And it's, it's a genius mechanism. But again, over time, people started developing a lot of obesity and they can't figure out why they can't get rid of it. They exercise all the time. They, they think they're eating healthy, but they're eating a non-organic diet, so they're just adding more in there. So kind of the long answer to your question is that when we're putting these chemicals in our body, we're killing the very bacteria that actually, again, creating these symbiotic relationships that allow us to really proliferate with our hormones that balance up with neurotransmitters, digestion, and just overall health and vitality. Because if we can't digest the fuel we're putting in, you know, we're not going to be having a lot of good outputs coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, better quality input, better quality output. I really am glad that you brought up that bacteria idea of diet because calories can only get you so far. Um, I personally like to focus more on quality than quantity. I think you would probably 
speak to that approach to food as well. But I think even for myself, sometimes I recognize when I'm be getting inflamed. Say, you know, you go out to a party or a birthday party or even vacation for a week and you're just eating everything under the sun or I don't know. Admittedly, I've done a seafood bulking plan where you just seafood and you eat it if you're trying to put on size or something. But as much as that is good from a calories perspective, the inflammation comes along with that. You know, you can almost feel yourself starting to get a little queasy or your digestion's weird or you're on the toilet for a couple hours. Like there's just so many pieces of food that have to do with the quantity and how it's affecting your microbiome rather than how many calories you're putting into your muscles or trying to lose fat. So I personally love using a lot of prebiotics and probiotics, things that naturally, I don't want to say cure, but I guess heal the gut. Bone broth has been very fundamental for me, but I was curious from your coaching knowledge, uh, whether it's what you use in clients of say people are having a lot of digestive problems or not able to get over that inflammation hump. What do you typically recommend? First and foremost, it's going to be you know, the most basic level switch into an organic diet. I mean, that's kind of like the blanket statement for everything. It's like, look, you got to stop putting in chemicals first. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the most basic level, and water quality is huge. You know, most of us are drinking tap water, or putting it through a Brita filter, which Brita filter is again better than nothing, but it's not doing a whole heck of a lot. So ideally, you find a natural spring. You got to find a spring.com. It's it's really that easy, and you'll find a spring near you. And, you know, some are better than others, but find a spring.com and get some natural spring water if you can't get that. I know a lot of people like the Berkey filter. Um, I have not got one because I have a good spring year by to me, so I haven't needed one. Um, but, you know, as time comes, if I end up moving um, in the near future, I may need to get a Berkey filter. So that's a big one. And I like that you brought up the probiotics and prebiotics. So one thing I'd say that someone can do today is adding probiotics and digestive enzymes to their diet. Digestive enzymes have fundamentally changed my digestive system simply because after years of wear and tear drinking a lot, so I've done a lot of damage to my gut. Really adding probiotics, adding digestive enzymes, and then just adding organic foods. I think that's the most basic level um, in terms of my clients and people that I work with that I suggest. You know, one of the companies, Perium, I work with, they have the, what's called the Ultimate Lifestyle Transformation, which they have a product called the Biomedic, um, which is the only product in the market shown by third-party studies to remove glyphosate from the gut. So I say get some digestive enzymes and some probiotics. I think Bioptimizers has some of the best, I would say they are the best, Masszymes and P3OM for digestion. And then getting something from the Perium, like the Core 4, the Ultimate Lifestyle Transformation, those are great pieces. You kind of sandwich those together. Um, and so that's kind of the place to go in terms of optimizing digestion. Mm-hmm. I think that presents a good uh, transition into your work with Perium. But the health nerd in me definitely wants to just hear what enzymes are exactly because I take them, to be honest. Uh, I know that they help with my digestion of, say, I have a huge meal and just maybe ate a little bit too late. So I definitely know that they work for me, but I've never really dove into what they do. So potentially from your supplement side, having knowledge of all of these supplements, what exactly are enzymes doing? How and why do they help? So general gist of the enzymes. So when our saliva is creating digestive enzymes, most of us, however, you know, we're so out of whack with our health and our gut microbiome that 
we're not producing enough digestive enzymes. And when we're cooking everything, we're killing the enzymes. So eating more raw foods can get us more digestive enzymes. But even so, again, in our modern society, in an ideal world, we don't need digestive enzymes because we're producing enough naturally. But I'd say 99% of the population does not have that luxury. So, you know, I talked to my buddy about this kind of day. It may take us 7, 10 years of taking digestive enzymes and probiotics before we really get to a point. And even then, we'll see. Like, who knows? Maybe we've done so much damage that we don't even know yet that we're going to take those for the rest of our lives. But point being is basically digestive enzymes break things down. So there's different, you know, there's digestive enzymes for fats. There's different digestive enzymes for carbs, for proteins, different types of proteins, different types of carbs. So there's all these different layers to the digestive enzymes. And that's what I really like about the enzymes. They have a bunch of different um, digestive enzymes in there. And I've tried a number of different ones. I've definitely found that those, those do the job the most effectively. Really appreciate your answer because, you know, Aiden's a coach himself, so he has more exposure into that realm of enzymes, the gut health, the digestion systems, and everything in between. So for someone like me who is not in that realm, and for many listeners, I think that was a really insightful information. I personally struggle with a lot of gut health issues, and I am intending on taking an examination to see what my gut health is like so I can get into the more nitty-gritty of that. And for the listeners out there, if you're curious why Rob is such an articulate person, and obviously he carries extensive amount of knowledge and insight and experiences from his holistic health coaching, is because he's also a podcast host. So I know Rob owns a podcast uh, called Whole Health with Rob Carney. Um, Maybe you can talk about real quick what that podcast is about. And for the listeners who's more interested in the detailed content that Rob produces, uh, however often he does, we recommend checking it out, his podcast, and we'll obviously link the information below. And Rob, after we maybe talk about that briefly, we definitely l- will love to talk about your final identity, which is your business and your product, period. Well, thank you, Ben. I really appreciate that opportunity to share on that and appreciate the kind words. And for me, you know, I'll start with Whole Health Connections. Because the podcast is kind of a, an extension of that. So for Health Connections, as I mentioned originally, that was just a way for me to refer people because people were asking me, you know, what should I do for this? Who should I go for that? And I was doing that for free. And then I realized, wait, I really like doing this. And if I can make money doing this, all the better. And if I can do this for a living, like I tell you, that's the dream. So that's kind of what it started. It was like an idea that I was doing anyway. People were always asking me for health advice and different practitioners and all that. So different resources. So long story short, over the past two years and three months, it's just been an adaptation of just kind of compiling the best resources, the best products that I can really find. And just after again, the past 10 years of experimenting, just what I found to be the best and sharing that with people and partnering with all these companies so I can give out discount codes and also, again, get paid for it. So, you know, everything I'm sharing in terms of when people look at my site and have discount codes, yes, I'm getting paid for that. We're selling things every single day. You recommend a restaurant, you recommend a movie, you know, you're selling for that person, you don't get paid for that. So if I love what I do, like to me, this is the dream share health, share knowledge, share wisdom, and like get paid for that, like, hell yeah. This is me living my dream is what Whole Health Connections is, is I work with Purine Health Products, Bioptimizers, 
um, and Mushroom Revival is kind of the main products, and basically Purium is a network marketing company, which I know a lot of people have their own stigmas around. They have a second cousin twice removed whose friend had a bad experience in network marketing, <laughs> and so uh, the, uh, the whole idea of the pyramid scheme, but then I say, oh, what, you know, what's the corporate structure? Oh, the one CEO on top, uh, two senior managers, three junior managers, and then a bunch of employees that have no say in how much they get paid. Whereas network marketing, you know, everyone has the same compensation plan, and you know, everyone has the same opportunities. You can actually earn more than the people that brought you into the business, and even more than the people that brought them into the business. So there's opportunity, equal opportunity, no matter what your race, gender, identity is. Everyone has the same compensation plan. So I think it's, I like the fact that it's a fair uh, playing ground for everyone. I love the fact that it's a personal development program because it's all commission based. So basically, it's that you know what year. The more problems you're able to solve for people, the more you're going to get paid. And the more that I can develop myself as a leader and a communicator, a teacher, a coach, the more that I'm going to get paid. So to me, it's, it's the best of the best. Um, so Purium has you know the greens, the glyphosate detox. Um, that's really kind of the, that's the baseline nutrition. That's you getting your baseline nutrition for whatever your goals are. And then my my podcast, I blogs as well up there, different articles, you know, on social media. But the podcast is basically intended for people who want to learn about their health and for me to have the opportunity to chat with these people and other health entrepreneurs, so health professionals, health entrepreneurs, and just, and just show what's possible. And not that I've achieved anything of great significance yet, in my view, I think that I've done some things I'm proud of, but as I said, there's still a lot of, a lot of uh, room for growth. But yeah, I'd say the podcast is just its just a passion project. I just love doing it. And as I said, with uh, Pure and the network marketing, the affiliate marketing, like it's just a dream come true. And, you know, the only thing I got to do now is just take it to the next level and have that financial freedom, which I'm working towards. And once that's there, you know, <laughs> I don't know where you can get much better than that because everything else is pretty spot on, pretty perfect. So, so yeah, I appreciate you allowing me the space uh, to share that. As you talked about, there is definitely a lot of stigmas and misconceptions and misinformations or what people think it is to be to be an MLM or a network marketing company. And I myself fall into that skeptic category because I, just like what you talked about, a distant, removed second cousin had a bad experience. So for me, it's a little bit more direct because I actually did it for about five months in college uh, during the summer because my best friend who was making a killing off of it, so he got me in. So I do agree that it's definitely not a pyramid skin because you guys have a very legit viable product that is actually a good product and but commission is a part of the deal. So with that being said, what is so special about uh, Prium? And I know you mentioned different products that you subscribe to and you believe in because it's in aligned with your whole holistic living motto. But what makes Prian so special and different from all the other networking marketing companies out there? Because I reckon there's a lot of nutrition companies that have similar business uh, model or structure. Absolutely. So I'd say the first thing starts with the founder. So Dave Sandoval is the founder of Purium. And he's made a lot of money in other ventures. He was actually the first person to import uh, coconut oil to the U.S. for commercial use. He's the first person to move wheatgrass from, which is the heirloom stream of wheatgrass from Egypt. And he's made money from other ventures, so he doesn't even take a, a pay cut from Curium. This is kind of his passion project. And um, he grew up homeless at a very young age, so he his mission is to end human suffering. So he said he's seen human suffering at the worst, worst of the worst. And that starts with, you know, making commitments to organic foods. Um, our farms are in 
I think it's like upwards of 90% of the food is grown on our farms in northern Utah on volcanic ash beds, which again, come back to that really high soil quality and going plastic-free in 2021. And I think that's that's the... You know, the Purium side and beyond the company itself, it's just a community. The community is just unbelievable. It's, you know, there's just so many like people that are passionate about what they do and just really want to help people. And of course, you always have people that just are in there for the money and that's any business. But for the most part, you know, the people in there are just so passionate about their health and helping other people. And I've just learned so much and I have just had so many great mentors that helped me not only just in appearing business, but with my own personal development, with my own health, with my own everything. So it allows me the space to then pay it forward. Like I said, you know, we all grow together. And I think that's one thing I love about the network marketing model is as, as I bring people in, I'm now responsible for showing them the way to, to get to where I'm at. Like, you know, I can't take them beyond where I've been, but you know, I can get them to where I'm at. And I feel like I'm at a pretty decent place. Again, there's always room to grow, but have people who are many steps ahead of me showing me how to close that gap. So it's just kind of constantly just growing together, improving together. And, you know, as I said, it's like a personal development program with a compensation plan attached to it. That the more I grow, the more I improve myself, the more people I'm able to help, the more problems I'm able to solve, the bigger my paycheck is. And to me, I think that's a great way to have conscious capitalism. You know, we tend to see capitalism as a bad thing in many regards, but if we do so consciously, in a way that is improving every single person in the organization, improving the health of the people, the mental health of the people, the equal opportunity for the people, improving the planet. And, you know, as I said, it's called network marketing. You know, you build the network, you grow your network, you help people in your network, and then you market. You know, it's not market networking. You know, you do the networking first and then the marketing. So it's just really a dream come true. And I think it's, it's definitely... I was extremely skeptical myself for the first, I was following Troy Casey for a couple of years. And even after meeting him uh, in 2018 in person, and you know, I was still skeptical. It took me basically two and a half years of following him and hearing about it and, and making an account as a customer and never buying the stuff. It sounded too good to be true. And then two and a half years later, I signed up and it was like, this is legit. So I, I definitely understand why people are skeptical because I was skeptical too. And it's still to this day, sometimes that voice in the back of my head is like, oh, is this, is this legit? Like, you know, that voice, you know, it's just that voice that's always kind of keeping us even, those old thought patterns that are still there. And, you know, just it's a constant evolution. So to me, I'm living the dream. And, you know, I, as I said, couldn't be more grateful for it. I love it, man. I think you introduced a lot of really powerful concepts there, specifically around the power structure. To me, it sounds very flat, but all everyone at the same level working for the same ultimate goal, kind of helping each other grow. And then obviously you want to see your collaborators and teammates do well as well, uh, which I think is really valuable. It's almost funny that when you pointed out that most corporate structures and companies these days do are in fact pyramids, maybe not pyramid schemes, but they are in fact quite literally a py pyramid, which is funny. And, you know, the flat line really came to mind on the way that your guys' company is run, which I think is definitely admirable. And then I love the fact that you brought up conscious capitalism. I think that's an idea from John Mackey, the Whole Foods CEO, which I've been riffing on a little bit as well of just kind of like thinking through what elements of capitalism are beneficial that you would include in conscious capitalism, but then also ones that are hazardous. I think 
coming from public accounting and kind of that even right now I work in corporate finance and it's all about maximizing profit margins and cutting costs as much as possible, which I think are some of the negative consequences for that put money first capitalism element. But I was hoping you could share a little bit of what elements of capitalism you've seen either from uh, Purium specifically or even just your studies of business throughout overall journey. What elements should be included in capitalism or you find valuable and which elements of it do you find hazardous? Well, I'd say as a whole, I love the concept of capitalism when done, you know, in a holistic approach and in a way that's grounded in love, not in greed. So I love the fact that you can have someone working really hard and get rewarded for that. I like the fact that generally speaking, the harder you work, the more you earn. And if you're, perfectly happy with the job you have getting paid where you're at and you don't want to work harder you just want to kind of cruise that out there you can do that but recognizing there's opportunity that for someone like me is and I love what I do so I want to do more of it and I would hate if I love what I did and worked more and didn't get paid more for putting in more work like I wouldn't like that like I like the fact that I can put in more work when I want to and get paid more money so I think that it's I think it's a very fair system when done ethically and that's the key word, when done ethically, because obviously there's a lot of people in there that are just in there, like you said, maximize profits at all costs, cut corners at all costs, like just win at all costs. So when we're doing it from a conscious perspective, and again, something that's grounded in love that I want this to be beneficial for the I, we, and y'all, you know, that's that's where conscious capitalism, I think it, it stands out. Definitely. And what you just said, grounded in love rather than greed and having everyone win at the same time really reminds me of Simon Sinek's idea of the infinite game. His whole idea is that business isn't a finite game with winners and losers. It's an infinite game that everyone can win. And he argues that you shouldn't only create win-win relationships, but win-win-win relationships of you win, we win. And I guess this comes full circle with the I, we all. Win-win-win is the whole kind of circulation wins together, which I think is super valuable. So just to pivot a little bit, I'm certainly curious about your experience with both Purim and the mushroom business. Uh, personally, I'm a huge fan of Lion's Mane. That's single-handedly changed the way that I study, focus. So, you know, for our listeners, I was wondering if you could recommend three supplements. If you could only take three for the rest of your life or even three for the common person, which it doesn't have to be a specific brand necessarily, but what things do you think belong in people's diets that aren't in people's diet? Yeah, I'd say we touched on the digestive enzymes and the probiotics. I'd say bioptimizers definitely for the mass enzymes. Those are, like I said, the best enzymes I've found. Um, P3OM by their bioptimizers is also a really good probiotic. And I'd say the Power Shake by Purium. Um, I'd say that that's the green juice, basically. You know, most of us aren't getting enough greens. So I'd say, you know, get your greens. Um, I know one of my friends, um, his dad, he basically said if he didn't take the power shake, the, the guy would be having no vegetables in his diet. Mm-hmm. So, so basically I'd say the power shake for the greens and then the, uh, the digestive enzymes and the probiotics would be my big three. And, of course, if someone is extremely healthy, um, I may alter that, but I'd say for the, for the general person, that's, that would be mine. Definitely. Yeah, I love it, man. 
Uh, that definitely is a great point of the micro, actionable things that people can do in the coming year. One of the big questions that we really like to ask is around mentorship. I think we've talked a lot about your experience and specific knowledge around health and fitness, but this is more of a larger scale question. If you had a mentorship program, what would you advise your students with? Maybe it's about life, maybe health, maybe fitness, but biggest advices that you'd like to leave mentees with? All right, that's a great question. Let me think about that for 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. What would I leave my mentees with? I'd say when I'm talking to anyone, whether that's with coaching clients or with uh, you know my team members in my PRM business, I'd say that you know whatever goal you're working towards is going to take patience, persistence, and consistency. And if you can harness and embrace those three factors, no matter what your goal is, no matter how big it is or how daunting it seems, if you can be patient, persistent, and consistent, you will get there. You know, it may take a month, six months, six years, 10 years. Depends on the size of your goal, depending on how hard you're working for it. But just reminding ourselves that world of instant gratification most things that are great don't happen instantly so we got to be patient and like we talked about earlier there's going to be the pain teacher it's going to be adversity there's going to be stressors we got to be persistent through all that and there's always going to be distractions big rocks we got to be consistent so if we're patient persistent and consistent no matter what we're working towards we're going to accomplish it we just got to detach ourselves from a time frame and just keep working towards every single day yeah, I absolutely love that trifecta. Patience, persistence, and consistency. And I think that is the trifecta that is required, not just for a successful recipe for the American dream, but for anything that you want to achieve in life, big or small, like you alluded to. So with that, we want to conclude this episode by asking you the final question. Since the name and the ethos of our podcast is named Discover More, because we believe that this is an awesome platform for us and the listeners to peer into the curtains of those we may not have the direct or relevant experiences with, but we can also learn through the proxies, learn through you guys, through the guests. So we would like to challenge you as the guest to discover more something about in your life. You don't have to share it with us um, right now, but you can if you want to, whether it's professionally or in terms of your life. And what is something that you would like to challenge our listeners with? after listening to this amazing episode with you to discover more something about in their respective lives. Wow, I love that. Well, the first thing that pops into my head in terms of challenging myself, despite the bitter cold, uh, I really want to just continue walking. Um, as I said, I, I move every single day. Sometimes when it's 28 degrees out there or <laughs> less, sometimes 18 degrees when I first wake up and I love my morning walks but sometimes they either get cut shorter I just you know go outside with my dog or work out inside I'm always moving but I'm going to challenge myself to continue to do my my daily walk and I'm going to add that as a big rock on addition to my workouts so workout and a walk every day so it's going to be my challenge for myself and my challenge for the listeners I guess I do something uncomfortable every single day whether that's a cold shower, whether that's having a tough conversation you've been dreading, whether that's reaching out to someone new that you know could benefit from your business, your product, and you've just been 
scared or intimidated to do it. Just do something that makes you a little uncomfortable every single day, and that's my challenge. I love it, man. Embrace the uncomfortable. I'm certainly going to be moving towards that throughout the winter, and I hope all of our listeners do as well. Uh, And as we're coming to a close, I really just want to thank you both for the time of today and this conversation, but then also for leading by example for this whole health movement. I think myself specifically coming into this coaching scene, I was very confused and scared and just like not sure what things look like, but to see you creating this company that you deeply believe in and are creating a community around these ideas of health and holistic well-being, it's definitely inspiring. So really want to acknowledge you just for showing up in that way and thank you deeply. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, where could people find you for you to, you know, this is the glorious self-plug session since you've made it till the end, the uh, red carpet's rolled out for you. So please share the accounts, the information, the websites, the podcast, everything in between, because we do believe you've delivered amazing content and experiences and the wisdom and the insight for people to effectively and holistically kickstart their 2021 with. Thank you. And I'd say the best place to find me is probably on my Instagram, um, which is just at Whole Health Connections, all one word. Um, my direct messages are getting a little bogged down these days, which is a good problem to have. That being said, I may not get back to people as fast as I'd like to at times. Just again, there's kind of a lot of moving parts. So I'd say if you want to get in touch with me more directly, I'd say email because not as pe- many people email these days. So if you have a specific question you want a little more of your urgency on, my inbox on my email is up a little less full. So that's just wholehealthconnections at gmail.com. Best place to just see everything I'm doing from the products I work with to the podcast and my blogs is my website, which is wholehealthconnects.com. Dot com. So it's not Whole Health Connections because that domain was $2,500. <laughs> so com. Um, you can find all the stuff there. And, um, you know, I'm looking to grow my YouTube, so I'd love any support on that. As I said, I think I only have like 250 followers. Definitely would like to get that boosted up. So I appreciate anyone checking on YouTube. The podcasts are on there for the video versions. I have the audio on Spotify, Apple, all the other ones. So. Yeah, ultimately, like I said, echo what Aiden talked about. Really, really grateful for these amazing two hours conversations on a Sunday to kickstart my day. And of course, when the episode is released, hopefully this would help many of our listeners to kickstart 2021. After 2020, I think people are ready for a serious life-changing experiences and transformation. As always, uh, we will include all the information discussed in this episode in our show notes below. And for all the listeners out there, if you have made it to this far, we appreciate you and thank you until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.